Each year, the government, somewhere or another, proposes hundreds of new rules and untold thousands of people comment. Writing effective comments is an art form it pays to get good at. Here with some advice, Steptoe and Johnson law firm partner Matt Culkin. Mr. Culkin, good to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. So you've written a little guide for people to make effective comments. Why now? Well, really two reasons. First, the federal government is unveiling a revamped version of regulations.gov, and that's the portal through which the public can submit comments on proposed rulemakings. But also, I recently returned to private practice after a several year stint at a financial regulatory agency, and I was struck by the different approaches that commenters took on our proposals, and some of them were more effective than others. And so we thought it would be timely to share some of those tips with interested parties. You were at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission? That's correct. Yeah, so that's not one that pumps out dozens of new rules a year, or or, or does it? Well, for a relatively small agency with about 700 employees, uh, particularly post-financial crisis and the adoption of the Dodd-Frank Act, it's a mighty little agency that does a a fair amount of work. Got it. All right. And so... What were some of the things people commonly did that were ineffective in commenting on a proposed rule that you saw? Well, when when I would meet with my staff and we would debrief on the feedback we received, a lot of times we would get letters that were quite lengthy, but when you tried to distill the points into a summary or concrete recommendations, it was hard to distinguish from the generalities that were provided about the impact to a market structure or the way it might affect certain businesses. But it really wouldn't delve into the specific details other than to say something was was either good or bad. And it makes it hard as a regulator to take that response and turn it into something specific. So when I work with clients now, we encourage them to pick specific components of the actual proposed rule text And if there's something they support, it's important to say that. And if there's a provision that they don't like, it's important to say that, but also to provide the rationale for why, as well as the solution to the problem. So, for example, if the rule was going to cost my company XYZ dollars, you should state those dollars and say, but my cash flow last year was this much and my profit was this much. Therefore, it would have this effect on my cash flow and profitability. Well, yes, that's right. Um, Cost-benefit analysis is incredibly important, and it's a component of the notice and comment process that a lot of commenters miss. But simply saying that your revenue or your profit will go down, that might not be a compelling reason for a regulator to take your comment, because they're usually looking at the public policy benefit, and they're less concerned about the commercial effect. Got it. So, therefore, then the corollary is comment on the public policy effect. And if you think it won't have good effect or any effect on behavior or something related to that policy, you should state why in in the most specific terms you can. That's right. And to use your example, if it is in fact going to increase the regulatory costs associated with doing business, if it's true that those costs will ultimately be passed on to the customer, then you can and should advise the agency that one of the unintended effects of the rule would be to increase cost for your service which makes it less accessible to your customer. Yeah, and I guess if you get to that $100 million level, then you're into major rulemaking. And did you ever find that perhaps in making a rule and proposing a rule, the agency didn't intend to get into the major level, but then found itself after comments that maybe it was? 
Well, at, at the CFTC, I never ran into that specific instance, and I guess I would say that's in part because of the good counsel I received from our general counsel. And so we worked very closely with them to ensure that our rules were done in compliance with OMB directives as well as the Administrative Procedure Act. All right. Any other important pieces of advice that rulemaking commenters should follow? Well, I'd say there's a couple things. One, it's important to keep the letter focused and not to wax poetic. You have to remember the staff are going to review the letters, and sometimes there are thousands of them, and they're going to try and distill it into a few lines or make it into a chart. So the easier it is to lift something from your letter, the more effective it will be. I'd also, something that happens more often than you'd think, the Federal Register will give a deadline for comment submissions. It's really important to make that deadline. It's usually 30 to 90 days. You'd be surprised how often letters come in on the 31st or the 91st day. We're speaking with Matt Culkin. He's a partner at the law firm Steptoe & Johnson and former director at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And let me ask you this. When comments would come in, did staff, in fact, read them all? Yes. Yes. Every single one. And I'd say also to commenters, filing the letter isn't the last step. It's really just the beginning. At most agencies, staff are willing to and look forward to meeting with commenters, either by phone or in person, and being able to ask questions and engage in that dialogue. Not only is it helpful to the staff, but it can be incredibly effective for an advocacy campaign. And did you ever get mass reproduced comments, say, from every pork belly producer or trader that were identical? And how did you treat those? We did from time to time receive form comments. You know, at the Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, they recently adopted a rule called Regulation Best Interest, and they received over 6,000 letters. And a lot of them were duplicative of each other. And so what the staff ultimately do is they give consideration to the relevant matter presented or the magic words, and they summarize those letters as if it were one. Got it. So that means that large bulk volumes of similar comments don't have any more weight than a really good comment that might come from one other person, but that the mass is taken as a single comment? Or am I overstating it? On substance, the point will be made, whether it's from one commenter or a thousand, you know, politically, when you get into weighing the pros and cons of different policy recommendations, there's certainly a benefit to the amplification of a message. Because I understood that under administrative procedures, that the weight of many is not something that a regulator is obligated to consider. That's right. It's not a weight contest. It's about the merits of the argument. But if a letter generates 6,000 comments, for example, that will be given a a different level of scrutiny internally than if it only received six letters. Sure. And what about the use of technology or machine reading or some type of artificial intelligence applied to when you get lots of comments to somehow sort out for the agency what the gist of them is or what the substance of them is without having to read through each word? Is that something you looked at or you think that's a good way to approach comments? It can be useful, again, when you're trying to demonstrate a broad array of interested parties. Having letters that are either form-generated or through some sort of technological apparatus, that's helpful because it sends the message to staff that it's an issue near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. But when the staff sit down ultimately to review the comments, 
and incorporate that feedback into a final recommendation for a final rule, it won't necessarily be the case that the issue with the most letters wins the day. Sure. And you're also writing that the submission of a comment is not the end of this participation by outsiders in rulemaking, but rather there's a lot of follow through and that you sometimes help clients now with that follow through. What can a party do once it has submitted a comment to continue with the agency? Well, it's important that when the comment period closes, and this practice varies depending on the agency, but at the CFTC, for example, we would regularly meet with commenters. And it allows the staff to better understand both the substance of the material, but also the context in which the commenter is providing feedback. And those conversations can be incredibly helpful, particularly when when you have government regulating private industry. It allows the public servants to better understand the marketplace or the industry that they're looking at. And that back and forth can be incredibly valuable. And the federal rulemaking practices as operated by the United States federal government have been cited by some people as the gold standard for governments around the world. Do you believe that it is? And if so, where could it be improved? I'm very proud of the process. And and we have a we're very lucky here that we have dedicated public servants who are so committed to the rule of law. You know, regulations.gov is getting a revamp, which will make access to the information easier. You know, if if I had, I suppose, one challenge when I was working through these materials at the agency, it's just that the volume of information can be so overwhelming. And making sure that we had our fingers on the right data point and were able to get it quickly can be a challenge when you're working with something of broad application. I suppose anyone who's ever tried to actually read the Federal Register has run into that issue. Yeah, it's a challenge to have to navigate either the Federal Register or the USC or regulations.gov. Matt Culkin is a partner at the law firm Steptoe & Johnson and former director at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Find this interview along with a link to his commentary on commenting at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.